Turn your Bible to James chapter 1, beginning with verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted that he is tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. For every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow or turning. Of his own will begot he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, put away all filthiness and overflowing of wickedness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, He is like a man beholding his natural face in a mirror. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and immediately forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth in it, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. The last verse is the text of the chapter and passage tonight. Pure religion, and that word religion should really be translated worship or service. We're not to think of that as religion like the Mohammedan religion, the Buddhist religion, and so on, because Christianity is never a religion, it is a way of life. And what the Holy Spirit is writing through James concerning is simply this, the pure way of life, the pure service that we offer to God, the pure worship we offer to God is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now you recall that we were speaking this morning concerning the epistle of James and we mentioned that this little book of James sums up salvation as it appears through man's eyes. What Paul wrote about salvation sums up what salvation is through God's eyes. Now, if you'll remember that, you won't have any problem with this book. If you forget that, you're going to have all kinds of problems in the book of James. Luther, because of his schooling background, you remember we mentioned this morning, he thought this was a straw epistle. He wanted to throw it away, take it out of the canon. Because Luther grew up as a Roman Catholic, and he was a priest. 
He was never schooled really in the Scripture itself, but all the traditions and linkages about the Scripture. And when he had the experience of salvation, Martin Luther had been over to Rome, and he had climbed up the, the steps at St. Peter's where they were putting on a great building program. He'd climbed up it on his knees doing penance in order to try to have salvation. He thought he would get saved or get salvation or be able to go to heaven through something he did. And so he was crawling up these knees, on his knees, these steps, when it suddenly occurred to him something he had read in the book of Romans, the just shall live by faith. That just shot into his mind and his heart like a dagger because he had not been accustomed to studying the Scripture. And when he remembered that, he said, this is all foolishness. This is all nonsense. I'm not going to climb up these steps to get saved. I'm going to put my trust in Jesus. And he went back home to Germany, and he began to preach that a man is saved by grace through faith. And when he came to this book, he didn't know what to do about it. He said, well, that's a straw epistle. That says you have to be, well, you have to work to be saved. So he wanted to throw it away. But when we relate the Scripture to all the other passages, and we focus in on the book of James and recognize that God is giving to man a manual as to how to so order his life that other people looking at him can say, hey, that man's a Christian. That man's saved and I want to follow him to heaven. That's what this book's all about. And in chapter 1, this morning, we talked about how to have godly wisdom. Godly wisdom is from the Lord. It is from the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit gives it as a gift. And wisdom has to do with how to use the facts of the Word of God. How a man can appropriate those facts and translate them into life action. And God knows that this is what we need today. We live in the midst of an easy believism that somebody walks down the aisle, he gives the preacher his hand, he looks up and he says, yes, I believe. And he goes out saying, I'm on my way to heaven. He still cusses, he still drinks, he still chews, he still swears, he still is involved in all kinds of impurity and immoral living because there's never been a life change. I submit to you according to this book, when Jesus Christ comes into our life, he changes our mind, our life, our heart, our destiny. A few years ago, we had a meeting at Camp Joy. <clears throat> We've had many, 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 many great meetings over there. And oh, what a blessing it has been. <coughs> on this particular night, <coughs> excuse me, on this particular night, <coughs> we had a group of young people, and we were having a service that lasted uh, one of our traditional services over there. And Dr. Gordon was preaching. And Brother Gordon preached and gave an invitation. And that invitation lasted until after midnight. I don't know what time it was over. But there was a young man there who had been invited to come. His name was John. One of the other teenagers had invited John to come that Friday night. John hadn't wanted to come. He had other plans, but he came. Brother Gordon gave that invitation, and many people came forward, and among them was John. Later in the night, maybe I should say in the morning, I don't know what time it was, 
But John wrote a note to his friend. Later, his friend brought me that note, and I saw it. John wrote a little note, and he said, Dear so-and-so, I want to thank you for inviting me to the greatest night of my life. And then he signed it, and here's how he signed it. Changed John. C-H-A-N-G-E-D. Now, that is an illustration and a definition of what it means to be saved. It means to be born again. It means your life is changed. When Christ comes to live in your life, you're a different person. Now, you may not live a perfect life, but you have different ambitions, different desires. When I was saved, and I want you to listen to this real carefully. Young boys and girls, listen carefully. When I was saved, I was a young boy. I was nine years old. Matter of fact, I was eight when I was under conviction. I used to go to church, and I'd listen, and and uh, the, the ladies wore great big broad-brim hats in those days. Any of you remember when the ladies wore great big hats? Lift your hands. Yeah, some of you do. And wore great big hats. And I'd try to hide behind somebody's hat sitting in front of me because the preacher had a way of looking out there and he'd point just like that. And I thought he was pointing to me. Now, he didn't even know I was there. But God knew it. The Holy Spirit knew it. And God was speaking to my heart. And I would try to duck and hide. Finally, the gospel got through. One night I was disturbed. I wanted Jesus in my heart. But I looked around and saw all these people. And I thought, how in the world can I walk down that aisle? How can I be saved? You see, immediately I knew that if I gave, got saved, I had to walk down the aisle. I had to let everybody know it. And, and I thought, how in the world can I do that? All these people here. And so I bowed my head and I said, Jesus, I'm scared of all these people, but I sure do want to be saved. And it seemed like I heard the voice of Jesus saying, Richard, if you'll take the first step, I'll go with you the rest of the way. Well, I took a step out into the aisle. And you know, Jesus began to walk with me, and, he, he, and he's walked with me ever since. Now listen, I was afraid of water. I'd never had a chance to be around water much. And I was afraid of it. But immediately when I got saved, I wanted to be baptized. Why? Because Jesus Christ inside of me said, that's the first thing I want you to do. And there was sort of a little argument inside. And, and something said, now, you don't want to. You just put it off. And after all, that preacher might drown you. And everybody will see you and all those kind of things. But Jesus inside said, Richard, you go on. I'll take care of you. And you know what I finally decided? Now, I was only nine. I finally decided, Lord, if I die up there, I'm going to do it. Because that's what I want to, I want to honor you. I love you. Now, that's what happens when Jesus comes in. He changes your attitude. He changes your mind. He changes everything about you. And James is writing in this little epistle about being changed. In the first part this morning, we talked about trials and temptations and all of those things that are going to come into your life. Remember that when you get saved, you are not exempt from trials. You're not exempt from financial problems. You're not exempt from sickness. You're not exempt from sorrow. You're not exempt from tragedy. All of those things may still come, but Jesus said, I'll be with you in it all. I'll walk with you through the valley. I'll be with you when your home is in trouble. I'll be with you when you're, when you're in an airplane and the airplane's going down. I'll be with you. I'll be with you when you don't have enough money to pay your bills. I'll be there. I'll be with you. I'll take care of you. That's what he said. And James sums it up by saying, Blessed is the man who endureth temptation. 
For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. And then he goes on to say, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. God doesn't tempt people. I've heard people say, well, I just guess God brought all this on me. No, 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 no. God doesn't tempt you. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor is God involved in the temptation that comes to you. James sums it all up by saying, here's what happens. When lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bring forth death. Inside of our hearts, inside of our bosom, inside of our life, as a new creature in Christ, we still have an old nature. The black preacher used to say, in every, in every Christian, there are two dogs. There's a black dog and a white dog, and they're always feuding and fighting and warring and barking at each other. And the one we say sick them to wins the battle. The one you feed the most wins the battle. You have an old nature, you have a new nature. If you've been saved this week, you still have an old nature, the old Adamic nature. You also have a new nature. If you feed that old nature on X-rated movies, trashy things, and you listen to people telling dirty jokes, and you listen to all their profanity, and you involve yourself in it, and you feed your old Adamic nature on those things, it's going to get the upper hand. And after a while, the, the devil's going to tempt you to wonder if I've really been saved. And people around you will say, well, I don't guess that guy's saved, boy. I saw him make a profession of faith, but I don't guess he's saved. Look at the way he's living. And that's the reason James is writing this book. He's saying, bring your life under the banner of the Spirit of God. You have a new nature. And if you feed the new nature on the Word and prayer and church attendance and vacation Bible school and building Christian friends, and letting, when you sin, bring your sin before Christ and confess it immediately, turning away from it, then that new nature will get the upper hand. And you'll begin to grow and somebody will say, hey, you see that guy? See that girl? Why, they were saved not long ago and you ought to see the change that's come in their life. Why? Not because you're good, but because you have allowed the Holy Spirit to have the upper sway in your life. Now, James goes on to say, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. It doesn't do us much good to go and hear the word of God over and 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 never do it. Suppose your teacher says now, two plus two equals four. Two plus two equals four. Two plus two equals four. Now you memorize that. Two plus two equals four. And Johnny stands up and says, Two plus two equals five. Not doing you much good to hear what the teacher says unless you do it, right? It's not much good to hear what the Word of God says unless we begin to do it. Unless we look into the Word and make it like a mirror. You ever seen these girls primp? They get their little compact out, you know. And they go, They use a mirror to dress themselves all up. That's what we need to do with the Word of God. The Word of God is a mirror. And as we look into it, we see our own incongruities. We see our own sins. We see our problems. And if we will use this as a mirror, like girls use a little compact mirror, and bring our lives 
under the banner of the Word of God, then we're going to sharpen up and we'll shapen up. Now, I could go on and on in this passage tonight. I just want to whet your appetite with what James is trying to say as we get into these next chapters in the weeks ahead. But I want to climax it by bringing your attention to that last verse. James says, under the pressure of the Holy Spirit, pure faith, pure worship, pure service, and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Two things, two things demonstrate the reality of your faith. Two things, compassion and purity. Two things demonstrate the reality of your faith. Compassion on others and purity, personal purity toward God. Those are the two things. And when those two things exist in your life, you're going to be a flaming witness for Jesus Christ in the city of Bowling Green, out in the regions beyond and to the uttermost parts of the earth. What does it mean to have compassion? Oh, for a heart that weeps o'er souls, weeps with a love in anguish born. Oh, for a broken, contrite heart, a heart for sinners rent and torn. Naught have I sought of blessings, Lord, save that which brings lost souls to Thee. All else is vain, nor dare I boast this, Lord, I crave, be this my plea. Have Thou Thy way, whate'er the cost. In death I live, in life I die. Thy way, not mine, dear Lord, I pray. Souls, precious souls, my ceaseless cry. Pure faith and undefiled before God and the Father is this, that you visit the fatherless and the widows. Now think about that, the fatherless and the widows. What's he saying? He's using these two illustrations to say what could move your heart more than to see a boy or girl grow up and no father, no daddy. In the day in which James lived, in the day of our Lord, in that New Testament era, the Scripture said, when a man does not care for those of his own household, he is worse than an infidel. And when a young child grew up in a home where there was no daddy to take care, that child sometimes would be like a wild tree, like a wild twig. They didn't have welfare programs like we do now. They didn't have aid to dependent children like we have now. Sometimes those children would wander around the streets and sometimes they'd slip, sleep under bridges Sometimes they go like wild people and the Holy Spirit is saying through the Scripture, if you have Jesus in your heart, if you have the love of God in your heart, reach out after those who don't have anybody that cares for them. Reach out after those who are lost, who've lost their way, who are derelicts, who look on their right hand and on their left and refuge fails them and they cry out from their soul, nobody cares, nobody cares. The fatherless the widows. The Scripture gives clear instructions in the day in which the Bible was written as to how the church was to take care of widows because they didn't have programs like we have today. The Christian movement has so greatly influenced the society of the world that whether we like it or not, part of the programs of welfare today are because of the compassion of the Christian faith and the Christian movement. 
I believe the church needs to do more of it so that the government would do less of it. And if we would be more involved in taking care of our own and say to the government, clip the strings. We don't want you to be in charge of us and to bind us by your restrictions and rules. We want to take care of our own people. And we could do that if we have the compassion and the love to reach out not only with our emotions, but with our pocketbook, putting our money where our talk is and saying, Lord, I do care for a world. And involved in the same truth is the concept of going after the lost. Uncle Jim told us a while ago that traditional story about Jesus coming home to heaven. And the angel said, what plan do you have for getting the gospel out? You just have 11 men down there. What, what other plan do you have? And the Lord said, I don't have any other plan. Don't have any other plan. If Peter goes fishing, if Matthew goes back to his tax collecting, if the disciples do not do it, it'll not be done. And the Lord says the same thing today. I don't Glendale Baptist Church don't go out in the lanes and highways of the city of Bowling Green and compel men to come, then they're not going to come. I don't have any other second plan. The only plan is to go visit them in their needs. And my dear brethren and sisters in Christ tonight, the man, the little child growing up in a home where there's no daddy, even sleeping under a bridge at night because he doesn't have any place to sleep, that's not nearly as pitiable, not nearly as moving with compassion as to think of that little boy growing up into manhood and then going over the hill toward the sunset years and coming to the end of the day as a dear man I spoke to at the intensive care the other night had come. And I said, do you know Jesus? No. Nobody ever told me about it. Tell me. Now, I don't know whether the man was delirious or whether he was real. I had the chance to stand over his bed and tell him about Jesus. And he looked up with eyes that were looking on the last scenes of this life. And he asked Jesus to come into his life. What a tragedy it would be if that dear man would go out into eternity without God. And I want to say to you, there's not a little boy in this town or a little girl in this town who doesn't have a daddy, who doesn't have anybody that cares for him, that's nearly as pitiable as that little boy or girl will be when they get over to the sunset years and they head for eternity and nobody's told them how to get to heaven. Nobody's told them about Jesus. Oh, that's what Paul, that's what John, James is saying to us here. Under the Holy Spirit, he's saying, pure faith, pure Christianity, that which proves and demonstrates that Christ is real in your life will lead you out to extend the gospel, the compassionate heart to somebody who is going down for the last time. And the other part, pure faith is to keep oneself unspotted from the world. See how holy you can live. Boys and girls, see how holy you can live. Don't worry if they make fun at you, of you for carrying your Bible. I, I saw a beautiful picture the other day. This little guy that came to Bible school, and uh, he, had, he said he didn't have a Bible. He got a Bible. 
and I saw him the afternoon and the evening. He was going to a ball game, had his uh, baseball suit all out and his baseball cap on. He's carrying his Bible down to the ball game. Don't be ashamed of that. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. Not just boys and girls, but men and women. May there be a holiness about our lives, a godliness about our lives, that others looking on will say, why, that man, that woman, that boy, that girl, he's been with Jesus. I didn't get to the Bible prophecies, and I didn't get even finished. I didn't hardly get started in this message, and it's time to stop. But I want to tell you, the greatest story ever told is the story of Jesus. But it's full of sound and fury, signifying very little to this earth unless it's translated into life action in my life and your life. That's what the world is going to notice. They're going to watch. They're going to be moved. A man came forward in the service here one day, several years ago. He said, I want to be saved. We witnessed to him. He trusted Jesus. Later on, I went over to his home to see him. I said, what is it that got you interested? Who invited you to church? Well, he said, nobody. Well, he said, there was somebody, but he doesn't live here anymore. He said, there was a Western student that lived here at Bowling Green, went to school here, and he worked in the restaurant where I worked. And he said that boy would carry his Bible to the restaurant. And everybody would make fun of him. Talk about him being Holy Joe. Every once in a while that boy would come up and talk to me about Jesus. I wasn't interested, just like everybody else wasn't interested. But I watched him. When all the others were telling dirty jokes, he didn't do it. When all the others were telling about the gir girls they had conquered, he, he wasn't talking like that. He said every once in a while he'd try to get me to go to church with him. But I never did go. He said the other day I had a terrible thing come in my life. My wife died. He said I knew I needed something I didn't have. And I didn't know where to turn. And then I remembered that boy. He used to go to your church. I don't even remember his name. But I remembered what he lived. And I thought, if he's got the kind of faith, if he's got the kind of God that can give him the strength to live that kind of life, I want what he's got. He said, I, I came to your church because that boy's life. And I don't even know his name. I don't know his name either. That's what's going to move people to Jesus. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Our Father, thank you for the joy and privilege and honor of being in this service. Oh, Spirit of God, move upon hearts right now. May someone turn away from sin and turn to Jesus. May somebody else who's already Christian but been living away from God come back home to you tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Will you stand, please? As we sing tonight God's invitation, this is, remember this is invitation of the Lord. It is His, not ours. I want to ask you,
whoever you are, man, woman, boy, girl, wherever you are, if you've never been saved, I want to ask you to come to Jesus tonight. Just come and trust him. Say, I want Christ in my heart. If you've already been saved, but if you've not had a chance to come before the church and say, I, I am a Christian, I want to trust Christ, I want everybody to know about it, then you need to come. Maybe you've been saved but have not followed the Lord in baptism. You ought to come tonight. Just stand here a moment, taking a stand with God's people. Maybe your membership's in some other church and God wants you at Glendale. Will you come? And I believe there are others here tonight that the Spirit of Jesus has moved upon and you're a Christian, but somehow you, you've been traveling afar from God, not, not real close to his heart. You want to come back home tonight and just say, Lord, here's my life. I give it back to you. While we begin to sing, who will be the first to step out for the king? Will you do it? If you've been saved, you need to step out for Christ tonight. And if you've never been saved, it's our prayer that God will disturb your heart and draw you to him. While we sing, will you come?